0: MLS expansion teams Orlando City and NYCFC both picked up their first wins this past weekend and sent a message to the league that they won't be bossed around. This is the SBI show. I'm Garrett Cleverly. With me is Ivis Golarsev, who's back from Yankee Stadium. Ivis, how's it going, man?
1: Going pretty well, Garrett. It was uh, it was an exciting night at Yankee Stadium. I know going into the week there was a lot of uh, doubt and some serious questions about. How things would go on opening night uh, for NYCFC at their temporary home Yankee Stadium. Uh, there were questions about the grass, about the crowd, how it would all come together. And I'll tell you what, for, for as much doubt and questions as there were... They put on a pretty good show for this opening night and uh, a a great start for a new team.
0: I feel like you couldn't have uh, written up a better script. I mean, your designated player, David Villa, gets a goal, then he adds an assist on at the very end of the match. So you walk away with a 2-0 victory, clean sheet. I mean, Ivis, it was was as if it went to script. It was perfect for New York.
1: No, great. It was a great match from them. Uh, A better match, I thought, than the opener against Orlando. Um, And it was similar in some ways in that they were better in the second half. But they they did well. They did well. They played well. They moved the ball around. All the questions about the turf. The turf was was fine. I mean, if anything, the bigger issue was the wind. It was a windy, a cold and windy day at Yankee Stadium. But mm-hmm. again, that didn't keep the people from coming out. They had more than forty three thousand there, and it was a good crowd. It was a good crowd. I mean, it, at times it was a little bit. There was some lulls. There was some uh, kind of quiet points. But overall, it was an exciting match. Lots of chances. NYCFC created chances. New England had chances. They had, mm-hmm. they had their handful of chances. If not for Bobby Shuttleworth, you might have, David Villa might have scored a hat trick. He really put it on, especially in the second half. But overall, a great show. Uh, and it bodes well for the, this first season in New York if they can kind of keep that going. And one thing I definitely want to point out, and I thought it was interesting, you know, I've covered the Red Bulls, the New York Red Bulls. I've covered them for 17 years, covered them in their previous incarnation of the Metro Stars. And, you know, they've been around, they've been here. But I, like when I when I was just watching the the whole setup before the game, the introductions, everything that NYCFC tried to put out, you know, they really tried to identify themselves as the New York team, right? The true New York City team, mm-hmm. and you really felt that connection just with the things that they did, the music they played. Um, obviously, you're at Yankee Stadium, so you know you're in the, the hallowed ground. You're you're in a landmark in New York, and it just felt. I mean, it felt like a more. Con- you're in New York, you felt that connection with the city. And if they play well, if they put a good team on the field, I tell you what, man, the fans are going to come out. There are soccer fans in New York who have never embraced MLS, who never embraced the Red Bulls. And if NYCFC can keep this rolling and, and put on a show like this, you're going to have some big crowds at Yankee Stadium going forward.
0: Did they play uh, New York-New York, New York after, after the victory?
1: Uh, they did not. Um so you know what? That's funny you mentioned that. I mean, not Cause that I, I, I get heard. it because
0: since the Yankees own it, 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 it's not too like out of left field. You know, it's it kind of seems they're in Yankee Stadium, the Yankees yeah, own the may, team. Maybe the
1: Yankees are like, hey, that's our song. Yeah, maybe. You no, know, you don't want to do that. But um, yeah, no, no. I mean, but they, no, but just just you know, a lot of New York music. You know, Jay Z, Fat Joe. They had a shot. They brought they brought out Ashanti to sing the national anthem. I don't, you know, not everybody may remember her in her heyday as an R and B singer. Um. I don't know, you, 10, must, you must have been ago. loving it then. Nah, I mean, whatever. I wasn't a big Shotzi fan. But I did enjoy the Jay-Z, the Fat yeah. Joe, uh, you know, dro- Drop and Lean Back. I mean, even the MLS anthem, right? You know, the song they play when the players are coming out. You know, it's like this whole, like, formal yeah. kind of song. Like, wannabe, Champions League theme song type song. Mm-hmm. And, like, the DJ in the stadium was, like, trying to mix that with something else. Like, you could hear him kind of, like... In the background, trying to like mix in a beat or something, it was pretty hilarious. But, uh, but no, man, it was just a great atmosphere. Look, there's are there questions? Right, there's gonna we're, we're gonna we'll, we'll see down the road how the field holds up when the when they have to you know shuffle in and out the grass once the Yankees actually start playing. We'll see how the crowds hold up because you know, season openers.
0: Of course, uh, You're always gonna gonna draws home, you always gonna draw draw well,
1: right? And home openers for a, a new team is always you always draw yeah. well your first game in existence because you know there's that build up to that. The question is, how does that continue to carry over? And the key for team for any team in that situation is you 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 need to show the fans that come for that first game something that makes them want to return. And from that standpoint, NYCFC couldn't ask could not have asked for much better. David Villa played well; they played well as a team. Um, and they put on a show. They put on a show, and I think you had your, you had a lot of casual fans who came to the Yankee Stadium on Sunday, and they 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 will leave impressed. They will leave and uh, and say, you know what? I want to come back here. I want to see another game here. There, there, there was something about this that was fun
0: and worth coming out
1: for, and hopefully the next time they come, it'll be warmer, and, uh, you know, the team will be even better.
0: Well, you know, the the one thing in life, as, you know, back what you're saying, is winning helps everything. I mean, New York continues to win. Yes, I mean, those problems will be masked by the team winning. But when you look at the play on the field, though, uh, I mean, second straight week, Ivis, where I think New York came out much stronger in the second half. I mean, that's credit, obviously, to Jason Christ having a guy like him as your manager. That helps. I mean, you saw the defense improve over the second half for New York. And also, I mean, credit to them beating New England, a team who you and I both think will finish high in the Eastern Conference, compete for the MLS Cup. I mean, that's very nice for New York at the beginning of the season to be able to uh, I mean, beat New England. I mean, that's going to count towards the end of the season.
1: Well, okay. not Not to take anything away from them. And the win. But look, New England right now, they're in a bit of a state of disarray. It's early in the season. They're still trying to figure a lot of things out. I mean, they had uh, they had some players. Jermaine Jones is still missing. We all know how important he is to their team. Lee Wynn just got back. He got into the starting lineup. He didn't look himself. Uh, you also had several other players that were missing out of lineups. Teal Bunbury did not dress Scott Caldwell was was uh, benched. He was on the bench. Uh, on, I, I'm not clear yet on on what exactly that was, if that was an injury thing or was it a form thing. You know, he didn't have his best game in the opener either. Uh, so there was some shakeups there for New England. I think their defense is still trying to sort things out, the whole Andrew Farrell-Jose Gonzalez tandem. They're still working that out, how, how they're going to work. Um, so they're a work in progress. So I, I, I would say it, it's tough to, you know, look at New England right now and say, okay, you know, this is what they're going to be going forward. Like, I, I think time will tell, especially when Jermaine Jones gets back, when Gonzalez and Farrell have some more games together under their belt. I, I think they'll settle in, and they will be one of the better teams in the league. But for right now, uh, as crazy as it sounds, New England, the MLS Cup finalist, uh, they're in a bit more disarray than NYCFC, an expansion team. And I think, you know what, credit to NYCFC for that. Credit to Jason Christ for that, because he not only... Uh, you expected the attack to score goals, right? Or or to create chances. David Villa makes this group. Nick Grabovoy. They, they've got some nice, nice pieces there in the attack. So you thought they'd be okay in the attack. Defensively was the question, right? How would they start out this year defensively? And I'll tell you what, the back line, they've done pretty well. Uh, Saunders, Josh Saunders has done well in goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Hernandez has been really solid in the middle there. You have Wingert, Jeb Brofsky. Um, Josh Williams, all veterans of MLS. They've all they all have multiple years in as starters. And I think that veteran that experience that they all have has helped offset the fact that, you know what, these guys haven't really played together as a group. And mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they have already kind of gelled and and if not for one deflected for Kaka free kick, they could add two shutouts in the first two weeks. So I think that's kind of being overlooked. The fact that I think their defense, not this, I don't think their defense is going to be a dominant force, is going to be one of the best in the league. Not by any means, but the thing is, I thought the defense, if anything, coming into the year was going to be the big issue for them, especially early in the year. And if anything,
0: they've done pretty well. They've held up really well. Yeah, well, you saw the adjustments throughout the game, though. I mean, New England in in the first half, I think, had maybe over 20 crosses. In the the rest of the second half, they only had four crosses. I mean, you definitely see the adjustments that they're making. And and yes, I mean, Chris Winger, center back, has been looking good so far. Uh, And you're right about the attack. I mean, you just look at the box score, Ivis. I mean, every player that was playing for New York had at least a shot yesterday. I mean, their attack, you're right, is going to have tons of opportunities going forward this year.
1: Well, to be fair to New England, part of the issue when you want to talk about the halves and New England had more crosses in the, in the first half, not as many in the second half. The wind was a big issue, and how and how it was kind of moving uh, in the first half. Uh, New England, New England had the wind basically, and in the second half, NYCFC had the wind. And when you look at the stats, and when you look at at you know completion percentage and the like and the crosses, you could see. Why you know that did play its part. Now that's not taking anything away from NYCFC. They they played better as a group in the second half and even before the red card. I know some people will look at the red card, and I thought it was interesting because I tweeted when it ha- when the when it first happened. It looked like oh yeah that's pro- that looks like a red. But then mm-hmm. on the more the more you look at the replays, the more it's like oh, the context kind of. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it didn't look like a red card necessarily. And I thought the it was funny. I tweeted out, I asked on Twitter, I said, what do people think? It was, it was, it a red or not a red. And it was split pretty down the middle. It was right down the middle. It was crazy how the, it, it, you know, it varies. Opinions vary. So you had people that were like, oh, that's not a foul. And you have people like, oh, that's a clear red. And it's just, I thought it was pretty funny. I didn't think it was a horrible call. I don't think it was as bad a call as Justin Morrow's the night before. Uh, for Toronto FC, who also got a red. And I thought that was a that was just ridiculous. We'll get to that later. Um, but even before that red card, NYCFC was putting it on New England. David Villa had three shots on goal for some outstanding saves from Shuttleworth before the red card. So they were already putting the pressure on New England. Mm-hmm. But then once the red card happened, that was it. That was it. And uh, oh. NYCFC, credit to them, they really went for it. And they,
0: and they came away with the win. Well, you know, it's one of those things that you know, in, in the heat of the moment, final defender making contact. Yes, it uh, was a little soft on Kyrie Shelton. I, I will agree with you on that. But, you know, referees don't have the power of, uh, of replay. Also, I mean, unless you're San Jose, you're the only team that can somehow come back being down. Um, moving over to the West Coast, Ivis, LA Galaxy, Portland Timbers. It looked just like it was Portland's day until Alan Gordon does it again. I think it's his third goal for LA. Um, in stoppage time, he's able to draw point back for LA, who uh, walk away from Portland with a two-two draw.
1: Yeah, that's a it's a, it's a gut. That's got to be a gut punch for for Portland. I know Caleb Porter tried to put a brave face on it and point out the fact that his team played pretty damn well against the defending MLS Cup champions. And yes, you can look at that as kind of the silver lining in all this. But at the end of the day, they gave up points that they had in the bag. Mm-hmm. You're at home, you're <laughs> up, you're up a goal in stoppage time. You need to see the game out. And of all people to let score the equalizer, Alan Gordon. Everybody knows this guy. When the clock is ticking down to the final seconds. You need to get a body on this guy. You need to be aware of this guy because he, look, credit to him, man. I don't know if there's another player in MLS who you could point to and say, when it's down to the final seconds of a match, he is the guy. And Alan Gordon gets it done. He's gotten it done so many years now, late in games. It's unbelievable. It really is. But um, you know, credit to Portland. I thought they, I thought they played well. Mm-hmm. They and again, considering their their, their their the injuries that they've got that they have, and and they're missing they're missing some pretty key guys. So. Uh, credit to them, Michaela Porter, that they've started the season off at least from a um, a form standpoint. They're not the, the, they're not a mess like you thought they might be when you're playing without Valeri, you're playing without Will Johnson. They start season without well, Diego, Chara, Diego Chara. So well, Fed, where are you? well that
0: uh, well, that's a silver lining with those guys getting injured though. Well before the season started, you know, you didn't have to panic a week before or you know a couple days before the game, which is interesting, I guess, because now this is giving someone like Darlington Nagby who's Looking pretty good so far for Portland. I thought he had a strong game. Fernando I D had another strong game. I mean, but just between those two guys, I mean, Portland. It's nice to see these guys step up with those absences, as you just said.
1: Right, but at the end of the day, you need to get those points. Uh, and you know what? When you drop points early in the year, it could come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. And hey, look at Portland. <laughs> Portland last year, they missed the playoffs by one point. And 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 what happened there? Right. I mean, they it caught the beginning of the year. They were winless in their first eight matches. And it cost them at the end. And, and if you're Caleb Porter, you have to be looking at that and say, yeah, you know, we don't want to make this a habit. We really can't. And it's crazy. It's crazy that, uh, once again, Providence Park, one of the best, if not the best, home home atmosphere in the league. And they, don't, they can't get these three points. It's crazy. I mean, if you're a Timbers fan, you have to start saying, like, what do we have to do? We already give you guys the great atmosphere, the great TIFO. We're supporting you for 90 minutes, and you can't get us the three points. What is going on? But uh, they'll be all right. I think they'll be all right. I think El Porter'll keep them uh, heading in the right direction. And once they do get those those midfielders back that they're missing, then I think I really think they're going to be a force. They're going to be a team that can absolutely make the playoffs, even in the tough. Western Conference.
0: And staying in the Western Conference and looking just north, Seattle, San Jose. This is an interesting one, Ivis. I mean, San Jose clearly did not read the book. When you go down a man in a Major League Soccer, Ivis, we all know what happens. You're supposed to lose. I mean, what is San Jose doing, going up to Seattle, down a man, and defeating them 3-2? to two? I mean, you talk about just improbable results. I mean, huge, huge victory for San Jose.
1: Oh, no doubt about it, man. Dom Kinnear, I know a lot of people... Uh, weren't sure you know what kind of impact he would have on that team uh, I, I thought you know i think he's one of the best coaches in the history of the league having said that you looked at that team and you wondered did they really do enough mm-hmm. to improve that team to really get much better than they were last year and, and we had our doubts i had my doubts i know that and uh and but when you look at this game and you look at some of the fa- the new faces on that team that stepped up marvel win and essence Semagara, uh, innocent, wait, innocent, innocent. Emmergar. There you go. Yes, innocent Emmergar. Uh It, it was, it, it, you know, it, it's it's. If you're a San Jose fan, you, you came away from that game, um, not just happy that you won, but excited for the, with the possibilities that maybe we won't be a cellar dweller. Maybe we won't be a team that's headed the playoffs by August. You know, they so they, they, there's some reason for optimism. And look, Chris Wanolowski, mm-hmm. Say what you want about him when he's on the national team. You want to bring up the World Cup miss and. And he, de- he didn't look good in in, in in the recent friendlies. He didn't look good against Panama by any means. But I'll tell you what. When the guy puts on an Earthquakes uniform, he gets the job done. And he was outstanding. He was outstanding. I, I mean, for me, he was probably the player of the week in MLS in the uh, Week two and and he he carried he propelled them. He is a force, man. When he's on that team, and and credit to him and credit to Dom Kinnear, he he has San Jose believing, and that's their first win since August, man. That's crazy. Think about that first win
0: since August, and and they're a team that you know what? Weeks, Sivus where San Jose's looked pretty pretty composed on, on the ball. It's just I, I was the same boat as you, man. When the season started, I didn't think that San Jose was going to be a team where where you know they would compete, but can they push for? A spot in the playoffs from the Western Conference. I don't want to say that now, Ivis, but I mean two weeks for for San Jose looking pretty sharp. I mean that that's promising.
1: Yeah, I'm not ready to put him in the playoffs set. No, I mean, that's no, a, no. That's a, look in the West. The West is so stacked, but they're in the they, they're going to compete, and they're going to and they're going to be in these matches, and they're going to make things tough. They they showed that. Hey, look when they went when Bernard has got the red card, and they go down a man, and they're playing Seattle in Seattle. Dempsey, Oba, Martins. Just the terror the the, the, the terrorizing to some, uh. You just thought the the, the floodgates were going to open and it was going to be like five two or five you know it was going to be like Seattle was just going to – the goals were going to flood in mm-hmm. and it didn't happen and I I tell you what when I, and not only did it not happen not only was it it wasn't like San Jose bunkered in and successfully survived and no they went at Seattle they went at Seattle a man down. And they created chances. As, uh, innocent Emergara with the sick goal, cut back. He totally abused Brad Evans, and we, we can talk about the Brad Evans center back experiment a little bit. I don't know if it's time to pull the plug, but man, that was not a great uh, you know a, a great uh, a, advertisement for the whole Brad Brad Evans at center back. That game was pretty awful for him. But San Jose man Dom Kinnear, he hasn't believed it, and you know what? They're going to be a handful. I think.
0: Well. I- too early to pull the plug on Brad Evans. I was, come on, it's one mistake. Also, if you're Seattle, you're up a man, you should not be losing the ball over in the midfield and getting caught on the counter. I mean, Brad Evans was not the only guy at fault on that play. There's multiple guys for Seattle who failed to recover, or that I can't remember who turned over the ball, but that's I, I don't
1: want to stick it all on Brad. But a game like that, when you're up a man, you have to be able to manage the game and, and be more dangerous. And I don't think Seattle was dangerous enough with a man advantage. It's like they didn't really. Know how to kind of pick uh, San Jose apart, and, and San Jose deserves some credit for that as well. The, they 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 played well defensively despite the man disadvantage. So we'll see, man. We'll see what happens with San Jose going forward. Uh, I, again, I'm not putting them in the or play- Conference. No, not that's that's a little that would be early. We need a few of these games. We need them to put this for like three or four weeks, and then you can start talking. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, hey, you got to start with the game. San Jose started with this one. Speaking of teams trying to manage games. Philadelphia, Ivis, they go up two times against RSL in Utah, and they walk away with only one point after Saburillo gets a, a PK goal at the end. They also get, they also get a gift from Hamason Alave. Philadelphia, Ivis, I mean, dude, you talk about gut p- against Real Salt Lake.
1: Well, here's the thing: I don't know how upset you are if you're if the, you're the union because. If you're coming away from that game, you're thinking, you know what? We should have won that game, but the referee blew the call. The referee gave a phantom penalty and gift wrapped Real Salt Lake a tie. I mean, if Jim Jim and not to make matters worse. Luke Mulholland, the player who was fouled on the, fan, the supposedly fouled on the phantom penalty call against Maurice Do, after the match, he even said he didn't think he didn't think it was a penalty. So that I mean that that just puts salt in the wounds right there. Where the guy who it was drew the penalty even says he didn't think it was a penalty. So yeah, that was embarrassing. And it's a tough one because look, Philly, to go to go to Rio Tinto, and I know this isn't the same RSL team of years past, but to go there and Early on in that game, RSL was in control, right? They got, they had that free the free kick goal. They're up 1-0. zero. Mm-hmm. They're looking like they're gonna just win at home, like they always seem to do. But no, then a couple of weird, odd bounces, a couple of mistakes, and before you know it, it's two to one. It's it's uh, <clears throat> it, it looked like it, it was the Union's night. It looked like it was the Union's night, but uh. That, that penalty man that penalty really cha- changed changed because I think the union would would have closed it out I really think they would have mm-hmm. um but ends up it ends up tied I think for me if i'm if I'm the union I'm coming away feeling pretty good about this game not not just because you got a point on the road but uh the, their new forward the venezuelan striker scores a pair of goals and look it's not like he dribbled the defense and scored golosos but he hustles and he converts his chances and you're Philly you've needed a forward that you can rely on to to, to manufacture goals and he's looking like he could be a guy to do that.
0: But okay, how happy can you be if you are Philadelphia though? I mean, you, you play Colorado at home to a draw, a game that, I mean, look, if Philadelphia if they want to start the season right, they should be winning that game. And this game right here, another draw. I and mean, Philadelphia has to be kind of angry at themselves. I mean, so they're only having two points and six and two points in two mm, games where they should have no. six. They should have six.
1: These, these are two different, entirely different games, right? The first game you're supposed to win at home against a bad Colorado team. That yes, they came away from that. And, like they should be upset that they that they laid an egg they laid an egg in their home opener however that the game they played on saturday in at, at rio tinto i mean that was a good game they played a good game and they deserved a better result than they got and so when so you i'm for me two points to is it ideal two points from two matches no but i i also don't think philly comes out of they don't i don't think they leave utah feeling Uh, Mad at themselves? No. If anything, they come away feeling like, look, we played a good team and we played them even and we probably deserved all three points on the road. That's positive, man. That's positive. I I, I don't think they're coming away from that game uh, upset at themselves. If anything, they're upset at the ref because the referee doesn't need to make that call. It was a terrible, terrible penalty call. And and so I don't know. I don't think they're if I'm the union, I'm feeling pretty good because I think the union they're headed in 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 a positive direction. So I, I wouldn't worry too much.
0: Well, looking at the Trillion Cup, talking about bad calls. I've this one, Justin Morrow, is out right before halftime. After that, the wheels fall off for to Toronto FC. Columbus takes advantage of that. They win 2-0. to zero. You could say controversial red card in this game as well. It's maybe more convincing out of all the red cards over the weekend, but for Columbus, big win at home over Toronto.
1: That was a joke. The red card was embarrassing. I'm sorry. Justin Morrow... Slides gets to the ball. Uh, Ethan Finley's nowhere near the ball. Ethan Finley proceeds to fall over and collapse over Justin Morrow. The referee trailing the play by twenty five yards uh, calls penalty. He goes to his lines, his as his assistant. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, his that's, that's that Took
0: a while. <laughs>
1: so yeah, he goes to his linesman, his linesman to get some you know backup or to get his take on it, and and he and he agrees, and it, <laughs> it, it, it was just. a... It was a terrible, terrible, terrible call all around. But it's in, now, the here's heat, what, in
0: the heat of the moment the final defender leaves his feet. That's what they see. So that's why matter. I know I'm just, doesn't I'm just saying. doesn't matter. The guy
1: got the ball. He did not tack He did not go into Finley. Finley went into him. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. Like it, it's not even worth discussing. Here's what I will say. And and before any Columbus fan, uh, crew fans are like, oh, you just hate the crew. Look, I thought the crew were crew the – the crew were clearly the better team before the card they were in control of that match toronto fc they seemed to play like they came in there playing for a draw they they seemed mm-hmm. they they now mind you they pressed the first 20 25 minutes toronto put the pressure on they really tried to a uh, limit for uh, Federico Higuain's uh, his influence in the game. They tried to surround him, cut off the passing lanes. They really tried to press, but then once they they slowed down off that because you can't press for forty five minutes. There's no Atletico Madrids and MLS that are going to just suffocate you for eighty minutes. <clears throat> once they once they tired out a bit, Columbus just took control of this game. Mm-hmm. They 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 were the better team before the red card, and that and for me, uh, that's the unfortunate thing. It's like they were the better team already. In uh, what was being, what was shaping up to be a good game, and then you get this ridiculous call, and that just skews the game that much more. So all of a sudden, Toronto was not in that game at all, and then just, they just, then they just got abused in the second half. They, they uh, Greg Vanny made some changes. He tried to put in a more mobile defense since they had, they were a man down. Uh, Stephen Caldwell was injured. Apparently, he was, you know, he had a knock, so they had to take him out, and and then and the crew just ripped him apart. So, you know, I know. I know I, I'm among the people who, who who railed on about the red card and what a what a what a sham it was, but I'm not going to take it away from the crew because I tell you what I honestly believe if not for, if the red card never happens I still think the crew win that game I really do I think the crew were the, were the better team before the red and I just think they came to play they were they were looking better so obviously we'll never know now but it's just unfortunate when you see a referee make a decision. That's that is just such an influence on the game, and it's just unfortunate, especially on a weekend when we saw several of those.
0: Yeah, it seems. I think what was it? Four four controversial calls this weekend.
1: I don't. Uh, I think at something least, like that. At least three. All I know is that at one point on SBI, like the three main <laughs> stories. Had in the headlines was were, were controversial, questionable, and dubious. Were in in three different headlines, so that just tells you about some of these calls. So I mean, it's unfortunate. It's early in the season, and and we've seen this in the past, where early on in the season, referees are a little red card happy, a little penalty happy, and then it eventually adjusts. And it's unfortunate for those teams that get burned early in the season by these bad calls. But we've seen it in in the past, and hopefully. Some of these referees can can sharpen it up, can get can can take it easy, start taking it easy with some of these calls that can just adversely affect the game so much. So we'll see, we'll see, how, we'll
0: see if they can straighten it up. Um, going back to the game though, Ivis, Before we move on though, uh, also if you're Columbus, nice to see Kai Kamara. Um, get a goal, which pretty much put the match on ice at that point. That was one thing that Columbus was really lacking last year was having a guy like Kamara who could <laughs> score goals for them on a consistent basis, late in games. Um, also Muhammad Saeed Ivis, dude, he looked outstanding for Columbus in this game. I mean, that's that's some serious depth that they have. A guy coming off and just totally bossing the midfield. I mean, that, that be... that's nice. Okay. So,
1: uh... I I thought he played well, but settle down. I don't think he bossed the midfield. Like at the end, they had a man advantage in the second half. You have an extra man in 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 the midfield or on the field, so you're gonna have control possession. I thought Saeed played well. I, I did. Uh, I thought the first twenty fifteen twenty, he didn't show like he didn't show me that much. But then he, as the first half went on, he started to kind of get more involved. Is he gonna start over Tony Chani? I don't see that. But having said that, I agree with you, Columbus and their depth. They have put their they have put together quite a team. They have depth all over the field. Uh, maybe not at striker. I mean, uh, after Kamara, you know, uh, I'm not so sure about some of their options there. But, but as a team, I like them, man. I like them. And if not for Tyler Derrick standing on his head, they'd be two and zero right now. If you think about it, I mean, they had some great chances against the the Dynamo that you know they, uh, on on other days they put away. So Greg Berhalter's team is looking pretty good. And with New England being so shaky early on. Uh, I got to say man Columbus Crew the early they're looking like the uh, a really good early
0: favorite to be the best team in the Eastern Conference. And moving on, Ivis Orlando City defeated Houston Dynamo 1-0 picking up their first win as a uh, as a franchise and Tyler Derrick after last week we were singing his praises for how he stood on his head had a wonderful performance for the Houston Dynamo. He then has probably the blunder of what will probably be the season in this one own goal for him and Orlando Ivis comes away with their first victory as a franchise.
1: This one, oh man, for Friday night, if you if, if you were watching this game, aside from being a, a fan of the teams, if you were like a casual watching this game, you were definitely regretting your decision on Friday night because this was not an entertaining game. This was a pretty ugly game. This was a bit of a snoozer. Um, but look, or, for me, Orlando City was the better team. Mm-hmm. Um, so as much as it came down to a blunder and you could say, oh, if not for this, then not for that. Orlando, For me, Orlando was the better team. Uh, so coming away with three points, you know I think they earned that. And look, credit to Pedro Ribeiro—he put the pressure on. He put uh, he forced Tyler Derrick into a mistake, and it, it's it's unfortunate. Obviously, Tyler Derrick, not only was he amazing last week, but he was already having a good game in this game against Orlando. So he you know he saved a really good free kick from Kaká in the first half uh, that you know was almost a goal if he doesn't make that save. And and you're thinking, oh here he is again. He's having another great game, and then. Boom, he gets you know, he 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 commits that error. And I, I know look, I'm not saying it's not Derek's fault. I'm not. It is absolutely his fault. But for me, you know, when I watched that play and I watched it over and over, watched the replays, watched it over and over, I just didn't think David Horst needed to be passing it back to him. I thought David Horst had other options. And I just think, you know what? For as defenders go, you can't always just rely on the pass back to the goalkeeper. Like you're a professional your professional player you should be able to pick out a pass forward. Uh, especially when you have as much space to work with as he had. I know Ribeiro came in and pressed him, but I thought I thought Horst gave up on that way too early to get, send it back to Derek and put him in that position. So I just think I'm not putting it on, on Horst and saying it was Horst's fault completely, but he, you know... I'd like to think that you – know, or hopefully if, you, if you're if you them, if you're a horse, you're thinking next time like, you know what, maybe I should have just <laughs> tried to make a play. I mean I'm a professional soccer player. I should be able to pass forward and find somebody instead of wheeling around and sending it 45 yards back to the goalkeeper. I thought that was – honestly, I thought that was a bad play. But Pedro Barrow, credit to the guy. He hustled. He closed down a uh, horse and then he ran down and closed down Derek. Uh, thought he did a great job Kakat wasn't his best game it, it wasn't you know Houston clearly came out to to really try to neutralize him and they did a good job in that regard but I think I, I still thought Orlando was the better team mm-hmm. I think Orlando's a team that's gonna try to play they're gonna try to knock it around they're gonna try to combine um there's some there's some creativity there some originality there there's some attempt to play in an entertaining style of soccer Houston I do not see that I think Houston man there I don't I, I just I know they won their first game. I know Giles Barnes scored a nice goal. But let's not forget, if not for Tyler Derrick, Columbus probably walks away with a pretty comfortable victory in that game. Now you fast forward to this Orlando game. Houston didn't look good. They, they showed a little more toward the end of the game when Orlando was kind of sitting back on the lead. But before the goal, I mean, what did Houston show? They showed nothing. So, I mean... They need their they need Kubo Torres in a hurry. I mean, I don't know when he's going to get there, but they they need he's not they need get to get there
0: till the season ends in Mexico. Well,
1: well, yeah, now, right? I mean, after Kubo, he just scored for Chivas, so be any chances of a he scored a winner for Chivas, a big big goal for them. So that that any you know any hope they had of him coming back early pretty much died with that goal. Uh, but I don't know, man. I'm, I just I don't know, Houston. I don't know about them. I really don't. I just don't think that they, they they're missing something. They're just. They need a little more in, the, in creativity. They they just don't have that guy. They don't have that number 10. When you have Garrido and Clark in the middle of your midfield, you're
0: just not going to get much creativity. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing that we talked about in the season preview, Houston lacking that guy who can take over the game. I mean, Kubo Torres will arrive – Halfway through the season, I mean, is that going to put Houston the hole too much? MLS is crazy; anything can happen. But um, you do wonder uh, about that. Vancouver Ivis, defeats Chicago one to zero. For Chicago, it's it's another kind of lackluster game from them. You did have some positive moments, um, but uh, Octavio Rivero for Vancouver Ivis, thats back back-to-back games with a goal for him. I mean, he, he looks pretty deadly for Vancouver right now.
1: I don't know if I use the word deadly because he actually had some other looks that he. He he just completely whiffed on. I mean, he looks promising. I, I think that's a better word. Deadly's I think we could put Deadly on the shelf for now when it comes to Rivero. Chicago though. Were they better than the opener? Yes. You couldn't really get much worse, but they were better. They showed some they showed a bit more. They showed a little bit more. But man, I don't know, man. I don't know if they're going to put it together. I don't know if I don't know if it's going to come off for Frank Yallop. I mean, it's obviously two games in. You're not going to write them off completely, but uh, the face that you're seeing in uh, you, Frank Gallup's show uh, now, like the, if you watch that game and you saw that face, we've seen that face before in Frank Gallup when things are just not going well. I remember when he was the coach of the Galaxy and and and, and you know when when things turned sour a little bit in San Jose, uh, you kind of know by looking at his face that things are not going well. And I don't know, man. I don't know if Chicago has it. I don't know if they're going to turn it around. And and are they going to be the worst team in the league? I don't know if I go that far, but. The, the, I, I, if I recall correctly from our previews, I, I, I said it's either going to come together and all these all these foreigners, you know, they they, they fit, or it's going to be an absolute disaster, and it's not looking good right now for Chicago.
0: Uh, in Dallas FC Dallas defeated Sporting Kansas City three to one blas Perez had a brace in this one Fabian Castillo had a goal and Ivis Dallas just they they gave it to Sporting Kansas City in this one man they played very direct Michelle had a great game for Dallas and uh in a big win for Dallas man three to one over Sporting Kansas City they played
1: well I mean I don't know why they gave it to they 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 were better. But then look that goal, the free the goal that was uh, where you had half of the team offside, and that's not and that's barely an exact that's not even a real true exaggeration because there were five FC Dallas players offside, and Blas Perez was probably the second most offside player of them all, and he is allowed to score a goal that really definitely impacted the match. Having said that, Dallas looked pretty good even with he, like the, not to take anything away from them, they look good. They you know to start this season, Dallas looks pretty damn good. And, and I know uh, I didn't necessarily give them too like too much chance of of improving a ton off of last year, but right now they're looking pretty sharp. Blas Perez has come in with some real intent, like he really he looks like he's gonna have himself a big year. Uh, but that call, man, you hate seeing that call. Kansas City, man, they could have been right in it. Dom Dwyer with a penalty miss. He's the, the, the curse of the wedding ring is lingering for him. You have to start wondering what's gonna happen there. Um, that, was, yeah,
0: no. that was that was about as poor of a penalty kick as you could possibly take. Yeah, man, he's uh, Chris yeah. Seitz was like already like <laughs> the he second, was laying the down snipping a martini <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, and then the penalty him. came. Yeah, he was he was, was he was on the beach. I guess. It
1: was yeah, <laughs> it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. But look, if you're you know KC, you know obviously Matt Beasler's out. Uh, you miss him. Uh, they, they're they're still kind of wor- sorting things out. I mean, I thought they, I still think they're going to be better. Um, but it hasn't been a great start. To the, start to the season for them. But FC Dallas, man, ask for he deserves quite a bit of credit because he has them looking really good right away
0: and moving over to CONCACAF Champions League Montreal Impact is in the semifinals they play at home on Wednesday and Ivis how much of a chance do you give them of moving on to the next round
1: uh I think they have a they have a decent chance um I, I'm gonna go slightly less than 50 50 only because of Justin Mapp's injury if Justin Mapp Hadn't ha- suffered the injury that's going to keep him out four months now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to, I, w- I would have put him at right about 50-50. Ala as we saw against D.C., they're, they're a team that they can put it on you with their attack. They got a really quick attack, really dynamic attack. They can overwhelm your defense. D.C.'s defense is better than Montreal's, and, and they put it on D.C. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I mean, I think it's going to be worth watching. Uh, but just to map, you know, you wonder how Montreal – uh, copes with that because M- map was a real was a real force you know he he's a real factor on this team he's someone who can keep the ball he can uh, go at he can go at people he's pretty fearless on the attack and he's really good on the ball but without him now you kind of you're unbalanced a bit because you know one of the reasons i think Dilly duca was able to kind of find some success and find some space to operate is because Justin the map had to keep other opponents honest now without map there uh i think it's going to be tougher for duca and the rest of the
0: montreal uh, attack and this past week, Ivers, reports came out that Minnesota United has now become the front runner for the new expansion team. There were two bids for Minnesota, The reports are saying that Minnesota United may possibly get it. Uh, Ivers, what does this mean for the rest of the league, especially for the other um, expansion cities that are vying for one of those spots?
1: Well, I think we always knew there were going to be two teams and Minnesota was always a really strong contender. If anything, the only question was how it would play out because you had two competing bids in the same market. Uh, so that that might have cast a little doubt in Minnesota, but Minnesota's always been one of the strongest candidates in this cycle. I don't know any, I don't know why anyone should be shocked by the fact that Minnesota is looking pretty good right now and as of right now we still have not seen anything we have not seen a report stating unequivocally that they are getting this team, right? We haven't seen that yet. Now, when we see that, then we can kind of start casting things in stone. By all accounts, it's sounding like it's pretty good. It's sounding like they're looking like the front runner now that MLS has kind of sided with one of the ownership groups in Minnesota. Uh, and, you know, it's good to see Minnesota United win out if that is in fact what's happened out of those two bids because you know minnesota united they have they've run a team they've had a successful team a championship team in an asl great fan base there They, they already have kind of an established fan base there and you know how important that can be so i think it's great to hear that that's the case but until you know as of right now i haven't seen anything written that definitively has put that stamp down uh and i generally until i see that when it comes to things like expansion until I see it written, they are getting this team. I kind of don't get too crazy about it. That's just me. Uh, I still remember, however long ago it was, when I wrote, I wrote Seattle was getting their team. Uh, and 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 I, back then, I could never have imagined what Seattle would become. It's amazing, amazing the the, the support they have there. I think Minnesota will be a great market, and uh, if they if they do choose it, and it, it's a it's a worthy it's a worthy city, man. It's one of the best cities in America. In terms of supporting soccer, you see it with the ratings, like World Cup things, like World Cup ratings. Uh, I always used to say it when it came to SBI, uh, and I would track uh, the cities in America and ha- how they, you know, where the best traffic would come from. And Minnesota, Minneapolis, was regularly the top, either, either number one or number two among non MLS cities for traffic to SBI, and 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 it just kind of, you know, there is a strong uh, fan base of, of of soccer fans in that market. So I think that'll be great. Uh, what remains to be seen now is if Minnesota is that team, then who's next? Because Miami has always felt like they were, they were pretty much a shoe in if they could sort out their stadium, but they still haven't sorted out their stadium. And if Miami doesn't get their act together, I'm looking at Sacramento, Sacramento. And, 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 you know, I think a lot uh, anyone who's been paying attention to what they've been doing for the past year with that USL team the, the success that they've had and now more recently with the way they've been bolstering the ownership group uh, you know the expansion group that that is supporting their bid Sacramento is a is a really good is a really good bet and i can tell you right now uh, if you're listening to the show on SBI on Monday a little teaser for you we will we'll be dropping a story on the Sacramento bid uh, just kind of some background and a, and, and a good a good summary of the bid and how they've come along and how this team And this market have really jumped to the forefront of potential markets. When you think about three years ago, even two years ago, Sacramento wasn't even uh, considered a possibility. Like, you didn't hear anyone talking about Sacramento two, two, three years ago. Not not at all. Now Sacramento is right in that conversation. Uh, For my money, given what's going on with Miami and how unsettled the teams in Miami, for my money, I'd go Sacramento to be the next team after Minnesota. And if anything, I think MLS is going to wait and try to announce both. Because if Miami falls flat in the next couple of weeks, if you're MLS, why wait around? You already have a well, very enticing market in Sacramento. Yeah. Uh, I like it, man. They, but you got the, uh, the, There are questions about San Jose now. It's pretty close to San Jose's market. Is San Jose fighting the Sacramento bid? Are they against it? Do they not like the idea of having to share that San Francisco kind of region? So we'll see, man. But if it were up to me, I would go minnesota sacramento I think it's been enough time now to wait for Miami. They need to move on.
0: I agree. It's you know, especially you don't want to see Major League Soccer award Miami and use the same. Oh well, they do have a stadium coming type thing. I mean that that just obviously is not going to go well, well over with fans. But I mean the clock is ticking on David Beckham though, Ivis. and and this is and you wonder how long. I mean, MLS gave 45 days. I, mean, I wonder if that was also a warning to David Beckham in Miami. Look, you have 45 days to do this. Because you have to assume Major League Soccer probably will wait to the very, very last day of that timetable they set. And then finally, if Miami doesn't have it on that 45th day, that's when it's probably going to go to Sacramento.
1: I don't think they're going to wait that long, to be really? honest with you. I know, I know that's what Garber said, Uh, 45 days. But I think it'll be decided before that. And that's something that just kind came of to, came to my mind now. I mean, Beckham has that whole buying he can mm-hmm. buy a team on the discount right he can pay twenty five million or whatever it is now if you're MLs <laughs> and you can go sell your you can go sell Sacramento a team for seventy five to hundred million dollars instead of selling it to Beckham for a question along with a questionable stadium project at twenty five million who you think who would you rather sell to I don't know but I'd rather make an extra fifty million so I don't know man I think my for me I just do not see the Miami bid. Getting its act together because it's how long has it been already, right? How long can you wait?
0: MLS need to, needs to just move on. I really do. I think that's what need, they need to move on. And later this summer, United States men's national team will competing in the 2015 CONCACAF Gold Cup. I was last week. The draws for the groups did eventually come out. United States is now. United States, sorry, has been in Group A, but they're now with Panama, Haiti and Honduras or French Guiana. That's a termination between those two teams will be that fourth spot. Um, but for the U.S., that's their group, and they begin play on July 7th and uh, at Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. Uh,
1: tough group, man. Tough group. Uh, I think for me, it's a tough group. Uh, I know Honduras still has to qualify, but I, I'm pretty confident they're going quali- to qualify. Uh, I don't think I don't have much doubt about that at all. No offense to French Guiana. I mean, you know, anything's possible in this sport, obviously. But if Honduras wins as expected, I think you you, you know when you want to talk about the, w- which group has the toughest three teams in it, uh, I think you got to go U.S. Uh, I can- Panama, USA, Panama, Honduras. I think it's yeah. the best threesome in the group. Um, the, the group B with Costa was it Costa Rica, Canada, Jamaica, and El Salvador mm-hmm. is, is is an interesting one. I mean, El Salvador is obviously it, it, they're struggling in the wake of all the suspensions, the match fixing suspensions. They're still kind of trying to recoup, recover from that. Uh, that's an look. Mexico's got the easiest group. I think everyone agrees with that. I, I don't think anyone has any doubts about that. But I, I like the group for the U.S. because you know what? You, you want to have some tough matches in the in the group stage. You want to get tested. You want to figure some things out. Um, and look, clinsman Kl- talking. To, I talked to to Clinsman on Wednesday, mm-hmm. after, right after the draw. On Thursday, right after the draw, and he was like, he was ha- he was he wants a good group. He wants a, he wants some some good competition because you you don't want to. You know, you, you don't want to wait to the knockout rounds. And anyway, uh, you don't you don't want to wait till the knockout rounds to, to, to get tested. You want to get tested early on, and they're going to have a couple of tough tests, man. Honduras with with with, with Pinto, uh, the former Costa Rica coach. He's now the coach of Honduras. We know what he can do with the team. Uh, and then you have Panama, which they still have a lot of those same guys that that have been around forever, in Pinedo and Perez, and 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 a lot of the same veterans who've been around since two thousand and seven. So. Good test for the U.S. I still think they're gonna they're gonna breeze through that. I think they're gonna get at least to the semis, and then we'll see what happens.
0: I just want to say hypothetically, if this Gold Cup wasn't in the U.S. and let's say it's it's being played in like Guatemala or Panama, does the U.S. advance still out of the group?
1: Yeah, I think, I I'm, I'm I just it's
0: interesting. Just I
1: don't think that's I don't really think that's uh, that's an issue. And 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 there is no U in Panama. It's there's an A at the end of Panama. It's Panama. Oh, what did so, I
0: say? I said, you, yeah, it's you,
1: Panama. You always, you always say. You say you say it like Enema. Pan- you say it like Pan- enema. Panama. Yeah, I think I just say it really quickly. Yeah, Pan- uh, Pan- like Panama. Yeah, Panama. Yeah, Ma. Yeah,
0: Panama. There
1: you go. But you, but you say it like Enema. No, That's no. How it sounds well, we all know I can't talk, so I, mean, <laughs> I was surprised.
0: Um, but I, I mean, also, I mean, that goes to what kind of? I mean, look, you're gonna celebrating the tough group. I mean, that obviously goes into the schedule for the U.S. men's national team in 2015. I mean, every person that they're playing going into the Gold Cup, the friendlies. I mean, they're all very tough opponents as
1: well. No, no question. They he for him he he wants as many tough matches as possible because he's thinking big picture. He's thinking the World Cup down the road. He wants to test these guys as often as possible with as many really really tough matchups as possible.
0: And I guess another thing that Jurgen Klinsmann talked uh, about at the round table that you were at is the uh, very young Gideon Zayla Lim. And Jurgen said, I mean, pretty much straightforward, that he is ready for the senior team. As much as you and I always like to lower hype on younger players, I mean, Jurgen Klinsmann saying that this guy's already ready for the senior team. I mean, is that a little, is, is he rushing that a little bit? I mean, what are your, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Well, he has an opinion, right?
1: I mean, he he believes that Zelalem has the quality to play for the senior team, and and, and it, I don't know, I don't think it's a hype issue. I think he, I know some people would definitely look at that and say it's a little hypocritical. Um, but if he feels that the guy is good enough, he's the coach. It's his opinion that matters. It's not people. It's not you know people who uh just watch these games and think oh this the 12 year old at barcelona is going to be the next superstar um i, I think when you look at zellum and you and you look that he's at arsenal even though he can't break through under the first team bench he trains with the first team he's on their radar he has played for them before it's arsenal arsenal's one of the top teams and one of the top leagues in the world uh i know some people will say well that's an embarrassment that he would even say that when you have all these mls players But like, listen those other those MLS players wouldn't be uh, on the bench at Arsenal either. So you can't just use that and say, "Oh, well, he shouldn't be talking about Zellum like that." That's his opinion. But again, he hasn't had him yet. He hasn't brought him in. He hasn't had him train. So all he can go by is what his scouts tell him. What 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 kind of the ratings that you have? Because you know Zellum's playing. He plays obviously. With, with Arsenal's youth teams, and, and, and they play some pretty high-level youth in in their youth leagues that they have there. Uh, so there's obviously a scouting report on Zelim, but how it would translate to the senior level, you don't know. You don't know until he's had a chance to train and he's actually had a chance to play uh, with the first team. Is, he, is it a little bit of hyperbole? Possibly. But again, we're talking about a kid that Klinsman is basically trying to recruit, right? He's trying to recruit. So look at it as a recruiting pitch. If if you're trying to recruit a prospect, you're going to talk him up in the public, it can't hurt his chances of getting Zelem. Well, obviously Zelem is already from, from from what we understand, from what I understand, Zellum, has he wants to play for the US. He's already let it be known. Obviously there's an appeal pro- there's an appeal process with FIFA right now to get him an exception to the FIFA rules when it comes to, you know, the where a player has been born, how long they've lived in a country under the current FIFA guidelines. Zellem cannot play for the U.S. because he came here when he was nine and then he left before he could stay the requisite amount of years that he needed to live here. Um, but obviously he feels American. He wants to play for the U.S. Uh, he didn't come to America as an eight, nine year old to like become a soccer star. It's so, you know, based on the on the rule that FIFA is trying to enforce, uh, it's not like he's breaking the rule. And he's not breaking the spirit of the rule. So they're trying to apply uh, appeal if it goes through, he will play for the U.S. And I'll tell you what, man, he's a talented kid by all accounts, by everything you hear. you When you hear people from Arsenal talk about him, and I still remember Jack Wilshire uh, talking him up and it, it, when Arsenal came to town in the summer. So the kid's got something. The kid's got something. Does it mean he's a can't miss lock starter in the Gold Cup? I mean, I don't know. No one's saying that. But I think he just, I just think Klinsman thinks that he, with the quality that he clearly has to
0: be at Arsenal, he should be able to at least be in camp and and hang with the national team. Ivis, another thing that Jurgen talked about. Well, I'm sorry. Well, on the other hand of, of Zelalem, Jurgen talked about the patience of DeAndre Edlin and him at Tottenham. You actually reported that he picked up an injury, which has kind of delayed his. Pro- I'm sorry, hasn't kind of it actually has delayed his progression um, in the Premier League. Ivis, I mean, w- what's going on here? Is, is this a serious injury for DeAndre Edlin?
1: Well, he he suffered a, a sprained MCL, and it was a pretty serious sprain that did hold him back. And just to just to make it clear, the it's not as if if not for this injury, the guy would be playing or even dressing for Tottenham. But it has slowed his kind of just development. So that from that standpoint, Tottenham is definitely taking the long view on 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 Yedlin, and. He's not the finished product. He's not by any means. The guy, from a tactical standpoint, is very naive. He has a lot to learn about defending and about playing the right back position at a very high level. The guy is a freak athletically, right? Speed, unmatched speed and athleticism and strength, and he has good qualities getting forward. But defensively, in terms of really understanding positioning and ability to read the game, he is naive. He needs to learn. And I think Tottenham is fully aware of that. And they want to bring him along slowly because, you know, you take a player like him and if you're throwing him in, like even with the 23s, I know some people were saying, oh, oh, why why doesn't he get games with the the U21s or this or that? Um, You you need to build him up. You need to really show him the game uh, to, to develop him to be an impact, to be able to contribute to the first team. And right now he I don't think he's ready. I think he needs to learn more about positioning. Uh, and, and just reading the game overall. And I think they see him as someone come next year can break into the eighteen. And I, I don't think they've written him off. I don't think they've given up on him. And I know that's the intent, the uh, The concern that, that that American fans have. Is he another player who's gone to Europe and completely crapped the bed? He's never going to play. I think it's a little early for that because as young as he is, we we're talking 20 years old when he when, when they first signed him and he's 21 now. Um, he's young. He's young. He, I, I, I don't think it's – I think it's a little – it would be premature if people start saying, oh, it's a, he's a bust already or it's not going to work out. Uh, I think Tottenham sees him as a really ta- talented kid that they're going to put their time and efforts into.
0: Uh, Jurgen also spoke on dual nationalities, Ivis, and we talked about this player a couple of weeks ago, Ventura Alvarado. He's actually from America. And another player Jurgen Clinton touched on is goalkeeper William Yarbrough, who's not born in America. I mean, what's the latest on these two guys, Ivis? I mean, is there a legit possibility that they could play for the U.S. men's national team?
1: Well, all we got all you know, we smoked to Jurgen on Wednesday. Uh we had a round table with some of the the beat writers who who cover the national team regularly. And uh uh obviously on, on Thursday at the Gold Cup draw we talked about the Gold Cup, but on Wednesday we talked about more specific national team issues and concerns. And then a couple of topics came up like specifically with some players, the dual nationals, Alvarado and Yarbrough, Klinsman said he's talk he has talked to them. He likes them. I think he wants to bring them in. Uh, if I were a betting man, I would bet that we see at least one. I think we're going to see Alvarado for these upcoming friendlies and at the end of the uh, end of the month. I think that's going to happen. As far as Yarbro, I'm not as sure about that one. Um, I mean, I, I know Klinsman likes him, but Miguel Herrera likes him too. Miguel Herrera has has mentioned Yarbro as someone who's on the radar for the Mexican national team, so that that one there could definitely be a tug of war on that front with with Yarbro. So either they're both worthwhile prospects to look at uh i, I i'm you know i don't think yarborough is going to step in and challenge brad guzan i don't think he's at that level but he's someone that is in that kind of range where you want to talk about next to next after brad guzan uh or guys in their mid-20s right now i mean I, obviously bill hamid and sean johnson are both young maybe have another one to compete with them I think Yarbrough can do that. Yarbrough's already won a title with Club León in Mexico. He's got the starts under his belt. He's, he's had a couple of years now as a starter, so he's, he's a good prospect. So uh, it's early, but I tell you what, I would not be shocked that we see both of them in March.
0: Um, you're going to also spoke on the uh, the player fitness thing, Ivis. Was it hilarious when he was saying, oh, when I go on vacation, I run, I do this, I do that? It, 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 just reading the article, I'm trying to imagine his voice in my head. It just sounded like it was very funny.
1: No, I mean, I don't know. It's all about how these things are presented, right? I mean, if you, it, it context matters. Context matters, and it's uh, sometimes it's uh, you know sometimes when when you see quotes presented in a certain way and and people try to package them a certain way, it just doesn't give it doesn't put them in a in a, in the proper context. So when it, when it when it came to the whole fitness thing, I mean, I thought I thought it was interesting. Some of the things he brought up were pretty interesting. Uh, from that standpoint of uh, what the concept of vacation is in Europe to one of the concept what the concept of vacation is in, in America. And you get athletes who just don't do anything. And that's not to say that's all Americans do that. That's crazy. I mean I, I know for a fact I know players who who put in their work even when they're in their quote unquote off seasons. But I just think that you know Clinsman's concerns and I think he showed look we we got the handful of us that were there, you know, we got a chance to see some things like test scores from the camp. And it was interesting, man. A good, like a good number of players came in below uh, what is our acceptable standards for the U.S. national team from a fitness standpoint. So, if you look at that, uh, you can kind of understand that. Look, this wasn't a case of one or two guys who came in out of shape and Klinsman decided to put the hammer down and 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 rip on the whole team. No, <clears throat> you look at the list, and it was like a, you know, you could. It was a majority of the players. A majority of the players did not come in uh, to the levels that are what. They expect for this for the national team to come into the into that camp. So uh, I think he's concerned about that. I think he's concerned that is this a trend? Are there things s- systemically that need to change? Whether it's diet, I mean, I thought that was interesting when he, I mean, we saw <clears throat> we saw blood content measurements, and you saw you saw a case where like almost every player had had high sugar or high sugar from a standpoint of being an athlete. So, I mean, there's all sorts of questions there. So it, it, it's tough to really kind of put it in the proper context. I mean, it's easy for people to cut and slice and uh, take his comments and, and just put them under con- convenient headings. But uh, my takeaway from the whole thing was he's got some some pretty reasonable concerns about fitness levels of, of the modern current player. And I know... It's a touchy subject when it comes to to, uh, Americans and the concept of U.S. teams always being fit. They've always been, you know, the most fit teams and this and that. Uh, I get that. I get that. But when you look at these test scores, you're asking yourself, what's the the deal here? How are we managed? Are we able to keep up with the other teams in the world, the top teams in the world? And if not, what do we what do we need to be doing? What does the U.S. national teams player pool need to be doing to,
0: to close that gap with the elite teams in the world? Well, I was keeping it focused on the national team front. We're going to drop down a few age groups to the U-17s. Good news, Ivis, is that they actually qualified for the FIFA World Cup. On the other hand, though, I mean, talk about the journey they went there. They, they were the driver's seat for their group. They lose to Jamaica. Half of them played Jamaica in a, in a one-game playoff to see if they can qualify. It goes into penalties. They defeat Jamaica 5-4. to four. I mean, crazy, crazy end result for the U-17s. But like I said, more importantly, Ivis, they are in the World Cup, which we played later this year. Talk about a heart attack! Right? I, know. I mean,
1: if you're if you're if you were a fan, if you were a U.S. fan and and you kind of bought into this team and you heard about all the talented players on it, and, and you wanted to see them go through, I mean, what a roller coaster! I mean, look, credit to first things first, credit to Jamaica, right? Because it's easy to say, oh, you know, the U.S. should beat Jamaica, they should crush them, they should kill them. We don't know how good this Jamaica team is, right? When you talk about U17s from that level, uh. You don't know. Maybe this was a good Jamaica team that, you know what, uh, all things being equal, they might be even better than some of the teams that that end up qualifying for the World Cup. The U.S., the thing that really, I think, not hurt the U.S., but maybe misled some people into thinking just how dominant they could and should be they, their schedule was laid out in a way where they played the tougher teams later in the tournament, mm-hmm. so they feasted on the weak sisters early on. They put up incredible numbers, and you're looking at that and thought, "Oh man, they're going to crush everybody." But then, guess what? They played Honduras later. They tied them. Uh, Christian Pulisic missed the game with an injury. Then they go play Jamaica, and but Jamaica's just an absolute handful. They, Jamaica beats them in the in, in the first meeting, and they come right back four days later, still having that loss in their head. And they couldn't break through. They went a second straight game without scoring a goal, and then you go to PKs, and Christian Pulisic, your best player, misses the first penalty. And at that point, I'm like, "Oh, they're doomed. This is happening. They're they're going to get eliminated." But credit to the, the U.S., they did not miss another penalty after that, and they got the job done. Was it pretty? No. Uh, but having said that, at the end of the day, getting in is what matters. Now they'll have that opportunity to play at a high at a high at, at the top stage. In the world, on for that age group, and I think it's a great opportunity. And I was re- for me, I, I'm you know I, I'm not a I am not i will say it I was rooting for them to win because I want to see Pulisic, Gallardo, Joshua Perez, Danny Barbier I want to see all these guys playing against the best seven, sixteen, seventeen year olds in the world at the World Cup because then we can really get a sense how legit are these guys because we all hear about how great Pulisic is, Gallardo is. You know, Haji Wright's name has been floating around forever. Now you want to, you know, you want to see how these guys can do
0: on that level. And now they're gonna, get, we're gonna get the chance to see that. Well, the uh, the World Cup will be played in Chile uh, between October seventeenth and November eighth, which will be later this year. So we'll get to see that, Ivis. Um, with that, it wraps up today's show, Ivis. Before I let you go, prepare for the week ahead. Anything else that we need to talk about?
1: Uh, that's pretty much it, you know. Uh, we I'll be heading to New York City on Monday to attend the uh, New York Cosmos. They're having a press conference to announce their friendly. I believe they're playing the Cuban national team in, in in what's looking like a pretty historic event. Uh, getting a lot of buzz. I think that's pretty interesting to see a a prof- an American professional team going down and playing a Cuban team. I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, I think that's going to be something worth watching. Uh, and overall, I just think it was MLS Week Two. I thought I thought things went pretty well and. You want to see how these teams continue to develop, but listen, folks. If your team is, uh, if your team came into the year with people expecting them to be better and they were struggling a bit, don't panic. However, if your if your team was expected to be terrible and they're looking terrible, yeah, it's going to probably be a long year.
0: It's only two. Ivis, come on.
1: Uh, I'm just saying, folks. If you're the fi- if you're a Chicago Fire fan, don't make playoff plans. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's
0: what I'm saying. Why, why, why you gotta why you gotta make all of our uh, Chicago listeners mad?
1: Listen, man, I'm pretty sure they're already mad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're already starting to stencil out the yallop out uh, banners. And and look, it's early, man. Like I'm not saying it's fire two the guy games. And give them two, I know, months, hey, two months. I gave him to the summer. I gave him the summer. I said he. I said you know what? He's probably gone by the summer. And you know what? That's that's looking like pretty like a pretty good prediction
0: right now. Uh, It's going to be a long season, Ivis. A long season. All right, man. Well, I'm going to let you go. You have a good week, Ivis, and I'll catch up with you later, right? Yes, sir. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening. That is Ivis Galarza. I am Garrett Cleverly. This is the SBI Show.